Let's see. I'm going to start recording now. Okay, what's your name? <laughs> Jasper. Jasper what? Zeracker. <laughs> and what's your name? Zimri Racker. Okay. We're interviewing the audience here. I know that they know their address. We've got uh, Robert. Hi, yeah, I'm Robert Schultz. Yes. I do know my address. <laughs> I'm Rudy Rucker, the elder. And that's, what's your name? Pig Junior. Pig Junior. <laughs> and. Oh, and I'm Jude Feldman, Borderlands General. Yes. Borderlands has been my most loyal bookstore. This is like the 40th time I've been here. <laughs> we used to be in a basement on Octavia Street. That's right. Yeah. I saw it being there. Yeah, and Alan's mother would bring cookies. Yeah, she, she made cookies beautifully for every event. Well, she brought cookies. I don't know uh -huh. if she actually made uh-huh. Yeah, that's what we're missing is the yeah. cookies. What year was that? Uh, 87, 88. We, oh, no, it was not for that. We opened in 97. Oh, not Hi, everybody that's listening. And, uh, yeah, we opened in November 97, and uh, we, this is, so this is year 17. And um, we moved to this location in 2001. So, yes. But the old store was cool, and it had a finished basement, and it was very... Um, it was very Edgar Allan Poe, that, that location. Yeah, but yeah. this is a beautiful location. I mean, really nice building, too. Well, it seems like you all work harder than you used to. We do, I think, but we also have we also have four times its space now. Yeah. The old yeah. bookstore was 750 square feet. It was very small, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, how did you two get together to the idea of oh, you know opening what? the bookstore? You know, it was Alan's idea. He, uh, he opened the store... Um, after having been in uh, in law enforcement, he was a police officer, he was a firearms instructor and bodyguard, did all kinds of stuff. When he quit that, he was a DJ and a club promoter and uh, ran a motorcycle shop and uh, eventually said, you know, I'm not really good at working for four other people, so I think I'm going to work for myself. And what would I, what would I want? I've always said that I was going to say. And, he, and so he thought, you know, what, what would I want to do? What do I want to run? He's supposed to be a big reader. The original, the original stock of... The original used stock of Borderlands came from Alan's collection. He basically just put it all on the shelves. Oh, <laughs> and with some, with some help from uh, the folks at No New Books. Yeah. In, um, no New Books? Yeah, No New Books. Uh, they are in Mountain View, I want to say. So, yeah, they, were, they sold us some of the original stock. But. Yeah, and then uh, I, was, I was managing a different bookstore in Santa Cruz. I was managing Gateway's Books at the time. Which one? Gateway's books. They're no longer there. They used to be on Pacific Avenue in Santa Cruz, and then they moved to um, Soquel Avenue in Santa Cruz. But they closed yeah. about five years ago. Oh, oh. They were a metaphysical bookstore. Why are you taping it? Well, I'm being handy. So you live so down there. So you live down there. You're ta yeah, taping anything. Oh, so do you everything. miss the <laughs> It was beautiful. I loved living there. But uh, I lived right on top of Henry Cowell Redwood State Park, and it was dark all the time. Oh, yeah. It was really Yeah, that's dark. a problem with those beautiful, secluded houses in the, in the woods. It's when the dark. People, you have to have your lights on all the time. Yeah. And and the people in can they can be sort of irritable. <laughs> More than most people. And irritating. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. 
It's a beautiful Santa place, though. You guys live right It's a more colorful right town. Well, we, yeah. You live in Los Gatos. So. Yeah, well, we do. that might be not entirely true, but I've never been in any well, substantive they, they way. down on us. Did you come out here last night, Robert? No, in fact, I um, ultimately was intending, to, I, I was supposed to be in last night, um, and I didn't actually come in until this morning. Um, my, my cab literally never showed up. I remember how amazing to miss a flight at the point of origin in like the middle of the day in the city. That happened to Sylvia and I once. Yeah, the cab just never showed up, and at some point... You know, I just was like, well, I just I have to give up. I just have to rebook the, the flight. When that happened to us, we drove at the last minute. I, I would have I would have driven. But you but waited you, you, five yeah, minutes exactly. too long. Exactly. Yeah. There's a very narrow window yes. where you could where you could salvage the trip by driving, and then at some point you go like, well, I can't make it if I drive. I should wait for the cab. Um, but we also um, we had an odd situation with my so my wife and stepdaughters are visiting a, a, a friend in New England this weekend. So my wife's car is already at the airport. Oh, no. And the intention was for me to bring back, right? And suddenly we'd get in this situation where we'd have two cars right. and like at one arrival at the airport and someone would have to, I guess, take a cab back to the airport to pick up the car or something. I don't, I don't know how we would do it. So like, yeah, it was a whole thing. You live in Texas, right? I do. I live in Austin. Yeah, it would have gotten so complicated. But you're right. It's, 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 a, it's a window of like five minutes where you go, I can jump in the car and make it right now. Should yeah. I? But, right. I yeah. but if I wait any longer, I can't park the car, get to the gate. Yes, right. to, you know, we did that a few months ago, and then we made the plane with one minute to spare. Well, we had a, we had a And I knew the cabbie, cab you know. And, but he's, and he forgot. We just forgot that morning. We were supposed to, we were supposed to show up at 5.30 or something in the morning. And he's like, and, and we, you know, we were going to lie on him. He's driven us to the airport. He's done this before. He's forgotten before? Yeah. Oh, no. He's a friend of Dennis's. Yes. Oh, no. The, the model for Stay High was a real person that we knew. <laughs> so this is Stay High's friend. So when I, how stupid am I? When I was in San Jose, when I was in San Jose for the film festival, was that last month? Feels like it was years ago. Um, he and I went to the Rosicrucian Museum. Yeah, it was oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. That it's was really fun. fun. Best site in San Jose. It's so weird. It is a very it's weird so place. Weird. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that was a good idea for an afternoon. What do you want to say, Zimri? I want to announce you say, now let's welcome uh, Rudy Rucker to read his Oh, you want me to read my story? Yeah, and then I want I want to announce you. Then can I announce you? Oh, you want to announce me? Yeah. Like a cinematography fan. Like the, the, that's a very rare person, and I assume the subset of cab drivers who can name large numbers of cinematographers off the top of their head and recognize them, recognize their faces or their whatever. Can I also no, 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 you? Know, you want to announce me too? Yeah. Such that they can discuss their personal lives. That, that's a pretty rare person. And this is what I just thought this cab driver would get this long discussion of... Uh, uh, maybe we should do our event. Just start it. Well, just start it and then be really loud, crank it up, and maybe somebody will drift in. Sure. Although, alternately, I think if they started reading, like, The NeverEnding Story, that would probably be. <laughs> Zimri. 
<laughs> you scream, it's time to start. Let's sing what we're going to sing. All right. Okay. okay. So tell us, tell us about... Just go up to the mic and yeah. yeah, yeah, go up to the mic. And don't hold back. No, I won't. Despite the modestness of the crowd. It's fine. I don't mind. I've played to less. I've played mic to fewer. Sure. Sure I have. Okay, go ahead. I will say, and to be fair, um, so this is this has obviously has been a totally new experience for me, this coming promoting a book. Um, but I have on occasion been promoting it alongside like other artists um, and I've definitely gotten this uh, it's, it's been it's become very clear that like I've sort of been called up to the major leagues but I am definitely a bench warmer so like I've <laughs> noticed where we had these very lar large crowds you know 50, 60 people and there were like 48 people there for the, for the other photographer and a couple people were like hey I saw your luck on Wired and I really liked it so anyway um, so um, some of you are familiar with the book um, some of you not so much. So the book is The Superlative Light. It's a study of the Texas Petawa laser, which um, may or may not be at this point the world's most powerful laser. We've just been sort of running with it, but it, its its condition is a little bit foggy. Um, apparently, very recently, there was a laser made operational in Korea, um, which has achieved a ever so, may have achieved an ever so slightly higher peak power than the petawatt. So the petawatt's power is actually about one and a quarter petawatts. Um, and this, this laser uh, has claimed to have reached 1.3 petawatts. Um, and, and, and again, that's one of those things that hasn't really been reviewed yet or replicated or that sort of thing. But um, it probably is legitimately 1.3 petawatts. But that's sort of the march of science. Um, in fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the uh, sort of core team at the laser um, Signed, flew over to the Czech Republic and signed a contract with the Czech government to build them a 10 petawatt laser um, for the Czech government. Uh, and they've already um, made a proposal to the um, Department of Energy to, for funding to build an exawatt laser at the University of Texas. So that would be a full order of magnitude more powerful. Um, in and of itself, that's probably a pretty good segue into Rudy's story because I know uh, 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 Rudy Rucker here, who was nice enough to write the text, some of the text for the book, um, was, uh, I know he, you'd been very concerned about sort of orders of, of magnitude in terms of, in terms of peak power, um, and we're apparently on the cusp of the 10 years away of sort of an exawatt laser, but it's going to be a long time before we get up to a yottawatt of, of power. Go ahead. Yeah, what can I, what can I ask for you? How long do they keep the laser lazy, because that's a lot of energy. Yeah, so... It's actually, the, the, the way that this laser works, um, and I, actually, I was just reading an article the other day about a new, about a, another petawatt laser. This isn't the only petawatt class laser, the only laser that produces a petawatt of peak power uh, in the world. It's just, this one is actually a little bit, it's like a petawatt and a quarter, so it ends up being the most powerful. Um, but there's one that, that, that settles right around a petawatt um, that is 500 joules of energy for 500 femtoseconds. Works out pretty, pretty neatly. Um, the, the way, which is actually a fair bit of energy for, for a laser, the way the Texas Petawatt works, and the reason why the Texas Petawatt is the most powerful laser in the world, is actually the brevity of its pulse as opposed to the amount of energy in it. So it only, it only utilizes something on the order of about 100 joules um, at full power, at, at, at full power, about 100 joules of energy, but that energy is output 
for 100 femtoseconds. So it's about a tenth of a trillionth of a second. Um, or to put it another way, the same fraction of a minute that a minute is a fraction of the age of the universe. Um, something that they proudly declare as the briefest man-made event in history. Um, yeah. In theory, there might be there might be natural astrophysical events that are briefer. Right. <laughs> right, because you have to have that man-made qualifier. Because in theory, there might be natural astrophysical events that are there. So, in any case, the the way from day to day, the what the laser kind of looks like, and there actually are some images of this in the book. In fact, I guess I could show them off. Here, let me see. So let me see my my iPad. Um, the uh, um, so the laser actually pulses. I sort of thought when I first came in that it worked like a Death Star, right? That it was right. That it just it's it's off. Yeah, and then at some point someone turns it on and it goes boom. Um, but that's not that's not quite how it works. So um, and I'm not totally clear on where that actually is in the book. But um, if you look at this image. Here. So this is a multiple exposure image, and there's a handful of them in the book, and one of the reasons why I made um, those was to demonstrate how the laser actually pulses um, frequently. It pulses at about two and a half hertz all the time. Um, and um, what ha obviously what, what happens then is when they, um, ultimately when the laser, um, when they're gonna take what they call a system shot, that is to say a full power shot, um, the uh, a pulse from that chain is selected to go through the various stages of of amplification, um, and ultimately to to get build up to a petawatt of, of peak power. So it's actually always kind of snapping and, and and pulsing. And in fact, you can hear some of those sounds if you look at the newly released digital edition at daylight.co. Um, you can hear some of those what it sound, what the laser sounds like when it's pulsing from sort of from day to day. Um, but yeah, I was, I was actually surprised to find out that it, it pretty much pulses all the time. So it lases, and they'll, they'll essentially, it gets turned on at about seven in the morning. It takes about 45 minutes um, to really start lasing in any coherent way. Um, and then after they, uh, and so after about 45 minutes to an hour, they're ready to take a shot, and they can take seven full power system, like what they call system shots a day, because the laser requires a little over an hour to cool off. Uh, and there actually, there's an image of that in the book as well, and I can find it here, um, of the gigantic, uh, it's, it's, most of the laser is liquid cooled, um, not unlike a radiator in your car, it's just gigantic. It just takes up an entire wall. Um, liquid cooled. That is to say, there's a chilled water return system that cools down most of the laser components. But again, it's, it's an entire wall of the laboratory that essentially is a giant radiator. Um, some of it, some of the systems are sort of passively air-cooled, but most of it is, is liquid. Anyway, that was kind of a long answer to like, how long to leave it on. Um, in any case, so when we, when we conceived of this book as a distinct kind of entity from the photography project in and of itself, um, one of the things that um, my publisher initially talked about was maybe instead of doing like an art criticism essay, which is what you would normally do with a, a book of photography where someone writes kind of a stuffy essay about how this fits into sort of the history of that, maybe instead, since the, the photos were and were designed from the beginning to sort of 
kind of look like a sci-fi movie, and in particular to look like kind of a B-sci-fi movie from the, from the 50s. I mean, a big part of that is just how the laser feels to a layperson, feels to someone who's not a PhD in physics. It feels magical, um, as uh, to paraphrase Arthur Clarke. It really does, it really does feel like, like magic's being done there. People, when I describe it to them, often say, like, it sounds like something out of science fiction. Um, it has this feeling of being totally mysterious and kind of impossible. Um, so, and we can talk more later about the sort of just this side of impossible stuff that it does. But um, so in any way, to, to augment that, um, the, my publisher had this idea that maybe instead of doing an essay, we commission an original work of science fiction. Um, and so I got a bunch of my similarly nerdy and geeky friends together around a table and said, who's the right person to ask? And, and I kid you not, Rudy's name was, Rudy Rucker's name was the very first name mentioned by my friend Andrew. Um, and, and he was a very, he was a very steadfast uh, advocate for, no, it's got to be Rudy Rucker. And, and, his, and his, his logic to this, and it's, it's sound logic, was that Rudy is a scientist himself um, and an academic himself, so he understands this environment and this place. But more importantly is Rudy's writing style. That is to say, not unlike the images that kind of float across being you know, documentary uh, uh, reportage that work in newspapers and magazines to talk about the laser, um, but also um, work as a fictional narrative if, you, if they're recontextualized, um, that we needed a writer who's writing kind of plays very freely or at least looks at, at that border as being very fuzzy. Um, and so uh, that I was the right person. So I'm going to do that, and I'm sure someone who I'm sure is far more comfortable speaking uh, into the ether. Um, I'm going to let Rudy read his story and give you guys a little, a little uh, um, taste of what's in the book, and then we can talk a little more after that. So yeah, come on up, Rudy. Thank you. Well, I do what I can. I try. I'm just going to take yours. Okay. Um, I've got my grandchildren here, and they said they wanted to introduce me, so would you like to introduce me, Jasper? Um, Rudy Rucker is going to, be to read his story about this laser. A laser. Okay. Thanks, girls. All right. So I'm happy to be back in Borderlands. And uh, I'm going to read a story called Laser Shades, which, uh, as Robert was telling you, he, uh, he actually commissioned me to write this story uh, for his book, The Speculative Light. So here we go. Adrian was entranced by Carla. She'd hooked him fast, and she was reeling him in, smiling with parted lips and nodding her head in rhythm to the cadences of his speech. Jack, off to one side, wasn't really listening to the words. No, he was reviewing tonight's plan. Step one, bump into Adrian. Step two, get into the laser lab. Step three, this was a nice club on Austin's Mary 6th Street, out towards the dark end of the spectrum. The scales fall. They featured yowly music here, one of Adrian's hobbies. He talked about the scales fall all the time which was how Jack had known they'd find him here. Tonight, a hairy guy was playing a beam guitar, which was like a steel guitar, but with sensitive light rays in place of the strings. The man wore his hair 100% over his face, like a cartoon hermit, 
and the only skin you could see was the tip of his nose, a happy nose. The beam guitar had a mellow, ethereal tone, sounding like one of those old-time gizmos, theremins. A woman was singing along, kind of a Russian steps sound, her voice dank and husky, reminding Jack, as so many things did, of his dead wife, Yulia. Yesterday it had been six months, a prion infection from her lab, horrible. Did you hear what Adrian said, Jack? Carla was looking at him brightly, humoring him. Uh, no, said Jack, I'm lost in the music. A jellyfish. He made wiggly motions with his arms, managing to knock over one of their empty Shiner beer bottles. It bounced off the floor, unbreakable nanocrystal. Vintage slime faber move, said Adrian, laughing at Jack. He was a tidy man with chiseled features. Slime fabbing is king, said Carla, sticking up for Jack. Forget about brittle, thuddy machines. Jack cultures a wad of fab slime, he sings to it, and it makes what you need, like the way a peach makes a pit. I know all about that, said Adrian. Jack fabs components for my group at the Yadawat Laser Lab. I'm a plasma ultratopics tech, right? Jack here is the only slime fabber in Austin who can make mirrored surfaces. You've known him for a while, huh, Carla? Have you ever heard him singing to his slime? If you all want to come up and sit down, come ahead. Come on. <laughs> Carla giggled and nodded. Kind of rank, she said, all burbly and wet, but maybe a little magical, too. Truth be told, Carla had once had a crush on Jack. She'd been Yulia's research assistant, and with Yulia out of the picture, Carla had half expected to take her place. But nothing was happening along those lines, and Jack was getting ever stranger. Carla was about done with Jack. As a farewell, she'd let him rope her into helping him with this insane last-ditch scheme he was running tonight. Not that Carla even remotely expected it to work, because if it did, but never mind that. I enjoy my work, said Jack evenly. How's your project going, Adrian? Got those pocket stars happening yet? Pocket stars, said Carla, playing dumb, as if Jack hadn't been steadily talking about this stuff for the last month. What a beautiful name. Did you coin it, Adrian? Adrian would have liked to say yes, but he couldn't. This guy, he said, jerking his thumb at Jack. Good with words. I was going to call them femtoscale fusion reactors. You'll use them like batteries, see? The technology of batteries is a millstone, a bottleneck, hopelessly stalled. Pocket stars will disrupt the paradigms. What about hard radiation, asked Carla. Not a showstopper, said Adrian. That's the part I'm working on, matter of fact. Mirror mazes around our little suns, phase shift cancellations, troughs and crests, optical wizardry. That's where Jack's components come in. How's the latest upgrade working out, asked Jack in a studiously neutral tone. Spectacular, said Adrian. We're past the point of inflection, guy. Up onto the gigabuck slope of the growth curve. One more round of funding and my group can productize. He lowered his voice. The latest prototypes, types, they shed megawatts like dogs losing hair. I even sold some power to the lab. In the right matrix, one of these pocket stars could last indefinitely. Can I see one, asked Carla. Pretty please. Well, I wouldn't be authorized to take you into the lab, said Adrian. It's class seven secure. Oh, it's Saturday night, said Carla. Nobody's gonna be there, and I'll show you one of my secrets if you'll play. 
She smiled, working her charm. Two secrets, maybe. She drew a little box from her purse, all angled, darkly gleaming, cupping it in the palm of her hand. The first secret is that Jack slime-fabbed something off a sample from my lab. Wouldn't you love to know what it is? Maybe, said Adrian, not all that interested. What's the second secret? Silently, Carla mimed a juicy kiss. Carla is a postdoc in the mitochondrial genomics group here, said Jack, before Adrian could properly respond, specializing in the goal guy apparatus. She was working with Yulia right up to the end. She even found the fix to neutralize the prion that killed Yulia, saved the others in the lab. They called her a hero. Soft, wet science, Carla told Adrian, her voice a tiger's purr, not like those Yadawat laser beam swords you boys play with, not like your pocket pool hydrogen bombs. Genomics is the only femtotech that matters, a cornucopia from the living mother of life. The living mother of life, huh, said Adrian with a crooked grin. Does that have anything to do with your second secret? Everything, said Carla. Dim things matter, Adrian, not just bright things. She was hefting the dark little container in her hand. It had sides like pentagons. Take us to the laser lab, and this little stash box opens like a clam. You'll be flabbergasted. Say yes, Jack urged Adrian, his voice very intense. You know I've been putting in an extra effort for you, and you've only let me into the lab that one time when you hired me. I need feedback if I'm going to keep working for you. Don't worry about Carla. I know all about her. A touch of ice in his voice. Carla is single, asked Adrian, rudely direct. Not your girlfriend? Jack's the grieving widower, said Carla. I'm the perky, yearning, starstruck ingenue rejected once too often. <laughs> and you can be Prince Charming, Adrian, if you don't act like a jerk, and if you're not too chicken to let your friends see what's in your lab, and if you really do have your pocket stars working, which I'm starting to doubt. She paused for effect. Maybe we should leave, Jack. I don't think I like this man. Carla rose to her feet, enjoying her, flower, her power. She took two steps towards the door, glanced back over her shoulder. Wait, said Adrian, right on cue. He threw money on the table for the beers and followed Jack and Carla outside. I can drive, said Jack. I've got my whale. I parked it down a side street. Great, said Adrian. I came by bus. It was a warm November night. The pecan trees were dropping nuts. Carla scooped up a handful, squeezing them together in pairs, eating the ones that gave way. The champion pecan, she said after a bit, holding up a final nut. He cracked all his friends. But can you even see? It's so dark tonight. We need our laser shades, said Adrian, pulling out two pairs of sunglasses. He handed one pair to Carla. You'll like these, Jack told Carla. I've got my own pair in my car. I helped slime fab them for the lab. They were standing by Jack's car now, an old-school convertible with its top down, a massive construct of Detroit steel. Cars like this were generally illegal to drive, but Jack had a historical preservation permit for his. He drew his pair of laser shades from the glove compartment, and now the three companions were standing there, goggling at each other, goofing on the scene. Although the laser shades had dark lenses, they had infrared laser crystals set into the rims of their frames. Ghostly, said Carla. The crystals vibrate, said Adrian, scanning across the things you want to see. Scanning them with infrared, you understand, and the rays bounce back to your special lenses, so you're seeing a wire A image contour map 
with pseudo-colors based on temperatures. You look like a singer in a yaoli music band, Carla. She did a little dance in the street there, brandishing her faceted box and her champion pecan. Jack was in the driver's seat, ready to go. But now, as often happened, the car failed to start. I've been working on a fix, said Jack. He twisted around, rooted through the debris in his back seat, drew forth a crufty glob of fab slime the size of a coconut, and warbled an open sesame command. Obligingly, the hairy orb split in two, revealing a glittering carburetor part quite unobtainable on the commercial market. Jack flipped up the car's flappy old hood and installed the piece. Accustomed to this routine, Carla worked the starter until the car let out a dinosaur roar. They cruised through the warm dock of Arston night, the three of them on the car's wide front seat, Carla in the middle, the air beating, pecans cracking, crackling beneath the wheels, the passing scenery like cartoons seen through their laser shades. Adrian had to pass all kinds of thumbprint and eyeball scanner routines to get them down in the elevator and as far as the actual entrance to the Yadawat laser lab. And then it became a matter of jollying their way past the gatekeeper, Cruz Sordo, who was somewhat distracted by a holographic ballet dancing game. I've nailed my arabesques and fouettes, said Cruz, rocking back and forth. I need three perfect grand jets to reach the next level, which is the virtual Bolshoi. You two guests are cleared, Adrian. Jack's already been in the lab before, said Adrian. And Carla's from a genomics research group, put in Jack. She's bringing in add-ons for Adrian's run. Adrian let the unexpected claim pass. Okay, fine, said the feckless Cruz but I want you folks out of there in 10 minutes before the lab's next auto scan. He backed off and took a running jump across the hall. Yes, I might even be on the Bolshoi level by then. <laughs> the laser lab was deserted, a bit sinister with sagging cables, panels with jiggly readouts, workbenches like sacrificial plinths resembling, resembling a photograph by Robert Schultz. The place was dimly lit, with stark pools of brightness in certain spots. Filtered through the laser shades, the potentially hazardous light came through in sour greens and tender mauves, in meaty reds and shinbone whites. A vacuum pump was thumping with a wheezing sound. Chirped pulse amplification, said Adrian, like an accordion, working the light up to the Yadawat level, back and forth, strong enough to zap proteins in the petavolt scale enough to spark a pocket star. My setup is over there. They proceeded down the aisle, first Adrian, then Carla, then Jack. Jack noticed an intense glow of infrared body heat coming off of Carla. She was scared, more than scared, terrified. Jack formed a sudden conviction that she was planning to sabotage tonight's run. Lurching into her from behind, he seized her wrist and pried the precious crystalline case from her hand. Jack! I'm the extra expert on mitochondria. You killed Yulia, Carla. I have to say it. It was your fault. You did it on purpose, to get your hands on me. There, laying it out at last. Carla's voice rose by two octaves. You are so crazy. I don't even like you anymore. Adrian, we need to get out of here. Cruz said we have ten minutes, said Adrian, not really understanding. Be quiet and pay attention, you two. My target is right here on this little platform, a piece of foil. See Jack's mirror maze next to it? The laser pulse is going to make a pocket star. 
and then a magnetohydrodynamic vortex pulls it into the maze. Keep back. The pulse is coming in 10 seconds. Jack shouldered past them, holding out his faceted box. He flipped a dark pink object onto the workbench. It was a fab slime woven matrix for Yulia's mitochondria. Jack was singing, his voice liquid and weird. The magic bean was twitching like a pet. <laughs> the Yadawat laser beam <laughs> drilled into the fleshy lump. The pulse was lasting much, much longer than usual. <coughs> As if the biotech lump were impossibly sending signals up the beam to its source, jamming all the switches to on. One, then two little stars bloomed within the shuddering bean. Though scorched and smoking, it held its shape. Jack still hadn't stopped singing. Adrian and Carla were backing away. Fueled by the Yadawat beam and by the two pocket stars, the Yulia lump grew larger, taking form, extending arms, legs, and head, channeling energy like a babe at breast. The thumping of the hidden vacuum pump had risen to a wild tattoo, and now came an explosion. The laser beam winked out. Somewhere in the lab, an alarm horn was hooting perversely. Idiotically, a set of ceiling sprinklers kicked on, raining down upon the scene. Jagged sparks, swirls of smoke, shattering glassware. The remaining lights cut out. Footsteps rushed to the lab door, Adrian and Carla escaping. In the soft dark, wearing his laser shades, Jack could see a little bit. Yulia was sitting up, reborn, smiling at him. And now she opened her eyes. <laughs> ah! <laughs> 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 Very cool. <laughs> there you have it. Laser shades. I figure the pocket Thank stars you. are in her eyes. Yeah, yeah I sort of. Uh, I, I mean, on some level, that's that's not a. It's definitely one of the. I mean, I think that probably the most desired technology speculated upon in the story is probably the unbreakable beer bottle. <laughs> uh, probably the thing. Are you from Austin? Or something? <laughs> um, but the uh, but the idea of like a, a reactor battery. Um, that would be is nice. Actually, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it actually would be really nice. The the one of the, you know, the. Guys of the laser seem to go back and forth, and they also with other because, of course, neutron fusion is something that the National Ignition Facility works on almost exclusively. Um, but neither one of them really represent a good model for like what anyone thinks would be a working, um, a working, uh, or at least to hear them tell it, what they sort of seem to feel would be a model for a working fusion power plant, right? On the other hand, when you look at these two facilities that do neutron fusion um, via laser, um, the National Ignition Facility is practically an order of magnitude larger than the Petawatt. Like, the Petawatt already represents a gigantic reduction in, in size and scale um, and in cost to produce the same reaction in, like, in, a, in a deuterium gas. Um, so I, I don't see any reason to not just sort of imagine that, like, yeah, we just have a little laser-driven battery, a little fit, a little, a little, little reactor that we just put in our like TV remote, 
Why not? Then it just lasts more or less forever, right? Yeah. <laughs> she just piss on it once a week. Just add water. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do I get? And thanks for writing it. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a great yeah, it came together. Good looking book. I'm really you, proud of it. Yeah, the photographs were totally what I worked off of. I, I looked at the photographs quite a bit, and uh, I just got those vibes. And there was photos of some of the texts, and they sort of, I mean, I could visualize them being like the people in the story. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was laughing. Yeah, and... Well, and one of them looked kind of serious, you know, and then I figured there'd be some flaky weasel like me who would get in there. And, uh, yeah, I did a painting of this, too. It's on my blog. A painting of, uh, of the, for the story? Yeah, it's of the guy holding the... The bean. The bean in the laser. I wanted them to put it on the cover, but <laughs> somehow Richard's public, Robert's publishers didn't feel that was a good way to go. No, although I will say, I actually did, um, I did argue at one point, or did push at one point for the idea of, because again, we're sort of trying to create kind of a literary equivalent of like a B sci-fi movie. Yeah. So to my mind, you know, the greatest way to do that, which is why it's, it's bound sort of head to tail there with... And, 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 of course, if you look at the fictional cover, that black cover, yeah. um, it's deliberately kind of tacked down. It's not... It, well, the people, design looks kind of deliberately amateurish. It has this deliberately exploitative, like, quote on it that doesn't have anything to really... Well, people... <laughs> I mean, the book inside. people from the upper culture say they want science fiction, and then they actually see it, and they're like, wait... Yeah, right. Because we cultures. figured that. Well, that's sort of the literary yeah. or the publishing. Yeah. Rudy, what do you say? See, this is the painting. I thought that was sort of. Oh, that's line. so cool. See, he's holding the bean, and the, yeah. there's the Ottawa laser hitting. Let's see. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Can I see? Yeah. In any case, I did actually argue oh, yeah, at some one. point, propose at some point that maybe instead of putting photos on the cover, that we commission an old-fashioned. Sword and sandal style, like illustration. Well, there's a like, to have yeah. to have the like take have a couple of the photos redone by it by an illustrator, right. um, so that it would look a more like an Ace Doubles novel, but also like an old B sci-fi um, poster, right? Because you get these black and white photographed films, and then it almost always was this like watercolor. It's painting a, in color that didn't necessarily represent what was actually in the book, right? Yeah. Or actually in the movie. Um, well, the book I thought it to do it. And at some point they were like, you know, we, we can't forget we are still actually making a like fine art right, book that's going to go exactly. into like the fine art market and people are going to kind of expect to have a photo on the cover. So, yeah. um, but speaking of music, is that right? So you, how did you first get, how did you first run into the yeah, so that actually is just kind of pure chance. Um, the um, so how you got into the laser? Right. Thing. I so to my mind, and something I've, I've I've worked on with students before, especially in a project-based practice, working on a larger body of work. Um, one of the things that that selecting a subject is actually really, 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 really important. It's more important than a lot of photographers give it credit for. Um, because, uh, you know, it's easy to forget that there always has to be a thing 
present. There always has to be a thing in front of the lens to reflect light back into the lens. Um, and so choosing that thing, especially if you're going to use it as kind of plastic material to, to talk about something else, if you're going to recontextualize it in some way, is really important. Not the least of which is, if you're going to do a, a concentrated body of work and you're going to be looking at this thing for every day for a year, it better be something that you are particularly devoted to. And, and a lot of neophyte photographers kind of forget that and they just sort of, they'll shoot some flowers and some landscapes and a bit of this and a bit of that. And they have these sort of technically proficient portfolios that don't anything. And one of the things that I've found over time is that photographers with a very distinctive voice often are like experts in their subject matter. Like if you ask Edward Bertinsky about like the geopolitics of climate change right. or the environment or something like that, the man is just as well informed as like Al Gore um, is on, on that subject. So it, the um, so when when thinking about a project, even if you want to talk about something else, you got to figure okay, there's got to be a thing, and what do I want that thing to be? And so I used to work with my students to have them kind of make like a list of stuff that even if they didn't own a camera, they would be reading about and thinking about and talking about. Um, uh, you know, totally without regard to photography, the things that they're passionate about anyway. Um, and in my mind, when I, when I do that, science always rises to the top of the list, and, 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 um, and physics in particular um, comes even further up to the top of the list. So I sort of settled on that, and I said, well, like, well, you know, there's this, I know there's this physics lab, and this plasma physics lab in Austin, and I knew, so the guy that's on the white cover of the book, the sort of non-fiction cover, um, is, is a very good friend now, but at the time is just sort of a friend of a friend. Um, and so I called him up and said, like, hey, can I buy, if I buy you lunch, can I get, like, a tour of the lab? And it was really new. I mean, they just had, like, the ribbon cutting with, like, like the sort of dignitaries and stuff, like, like a couple months before that. Um, and, uh, and uh, but anyway, can I, can I get a tour? And he gave me a tour. And it was, yeah, exactly. It was the most fascinating place I'd ever seen, um, ever. Um, and, and to start to consider what it was exactly that they were doing there became sort of inconceivable. So I just kind of told him, like, look, I'm not going to leave. Like, I would like to, I'm going to stick around and photograph this. So who are all the people that need to say yes? Uh, and then obviously that was kind of a complicated process. <laughs> uh, to get to get the right set of permissions, and also to do like the safety training and stuff that like employees would do. So that actually ended up taking quite a while to get. Uh, and you needed to do that. Yeah, because I mean, just it's a Yano at least. <laughs> well, it's I mean the the risk to human eyesight like can't be overstated. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even just, you know, from, from stray light. I mean, we're just dealing with light that, that acts in such a weird way. I mean, it's a light that is powerful enough to exert pressure on its environment, including even, the, it, you know, its own optics. Um, at one point when I was there, um, so just before they take a, what they call a system shot, a full power shot, they take this thing they call a rod shot, which is that it, it, the laser is sent through this amplifier that is a long cylinder of... of neodymium phosphate glass that kind of picks up energy from white light that it's it's flashed with. There's traditional sort of flash lamps, and it retains some of that energy, and the laser picks it up as it goes through. Um, and the same kind of glass, um, which is visible in the book in a couple of places, is uh, is used in the main amplifiers, which are recycled from Lawrence, a laser at Lawrence Livermore. Um, and but those are big discs, and it goes through them like eight times. In this case, it's a it's a cylinder, and it goes through it just once. And they, as they were gearing up for the experiment, they were preparing when I was in the book, and they started taking some rod shots, which are 
very powerful. They're not quite to a petawatt, but they'll, they'll be several hundred terawatts by the time they reach the target. Um, so they started sending it through the through the rod amplifier, and and as soon as they did that, this beam that had been perfect was the perfect shape and perfectly focused. All of a sudden, was just all amorphous and was all over the map, and they couldn't figure out what was going on until someone eventually tracked down the fact that the laser itself was exerting so much force on the rod amplifier that it was shaking it, for lack of a better term, huh. as it went wow. through. So when you think about light that's powerful enough to shake an object. Um, Robert told me that it didn't seem safe to use a digital camera, so he used film because you could so easily crisp the chip. Yeah, in fact, there, there's an image of that even in the in the book as well. Um, one of the there's a somewhere in here there's a, a photograph of one of their monitors um, that's just kind of looking down. Actually, in that case, a pretty low power section of the laser as well. Um, but that ultimately, oh, maybe it is in this side. Did you get to switch stuff in front of the laser, like a piece of paper? No, we talk about, well, actually, to, to an extent, yeah, no, I'll show you that in just a second. Um, well, the book comes with a piece of paper. It does. That's burned by the laser. Oh, cool. So, yeah. this, so this is just an orange, one of their, like, CCD cameras that they can, they can look at just some component of the chain and make sure that things are going well. And that strip, actually, down the side is a misaligned camera where, like, the camera and its like neutral density filter that cuts the light down to a photographable level weren't aligned quite right, and it just it struck it once and just permanently destroyed that crispy critter. that column of pixels right there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so film aside from the sort of aesthetic considerations of film, um, the technical consideration was important as well. Where's that little piece there of paper? Um, just because you know, if I burned if I burned a hole in a sheet of film, I just moved to the next frame of film. Um, but if I burn the whole digital sensor, I out several the thousand dollars. These black spots. Yeah, so those spots there, and they've actually started to fade a little bit even since we've done them. And that is a very low-powered point. In fact, we essentially did that right after um, the pulse comes out of what's known as the, uh, the seed laser, for lack of a better uh, which is to say the, the, the kind of first lowest-power laser that... Uh, Rudy has uh, a... A military laser, an infrared. Oh right, like one of the like the uh, 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 so you communication can point it up laser. At the, right, yeah, cool. Yeah. The uh, so that that is arguably the lowest power at any point in the in the laser chain, and it really was the only way we could do it. Um, that that paper is used in other laser labs. Hi, Penny. To uh, do you have to take off? Yeah, we have to Okay. <laughs> Maybe maybe we just make this a podcast. Yeah. Well, this will be a podcast. Yeah. Okay. Just like us chatting about. Yeah. That. You want to? Are you going to talk more? I'll leave the no, mic. No, 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 no. Just, just turn it off. I think if we if we talk think more, we can. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's probably. Or if you want to, I don't know how.